Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Inez Ribistello. Inez is a sommelier, restaurateur, brewery founder, and owner wife and mother of two, and she owns three businesses in Eastern North Carolina where she actively works to pursue educational equity and social justice in her hometown. Having just published her first memoir, Life After Windows, Inez details moving to Manhattan after college, getting her dream job, losing it on 9-11, and going back to her hometown to open up a restaurant and eventually a brewery while also raising a family. And I am so delighted to have you here today. Inez, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Angel. Well, you have quite the story, Inez. I'm really excited to dive in with you here and uh, find out a little bit more about you. It's pretty impressive that you have three businesses running. So I think the first question I want to ask you was, was you, were you as a child, like entrepreneurial? Did you, were you the one that had the, the lemonade stand out front of your house or did this entrepreneurial thing happen for you after 9-11? You know, I did uh, have plenty of lemonade stands and I always had a job, you know, starting in the seventh grade, I started babysitting and um, then, you know, eventually worked as a clerk at a children's clothing store and then got a job at our Golden Corral. So I'm not sure if entrepreneurial was, was like the defined me as a child, but definitely worker be very happy to be serving in some capacity. Worker B. All right. <laughs> well, so Worker B, tell us a little bit about, you know, like what inspired you to become a restaurateur, a brewery founder, sommelier? Like, where did that inspiration come from? My um, paternal grandmother was quite the hostess. She entertained constantly, really. I think every night of the week, she was having people over for hors d'oeuvres and, and peanuts and cocktails or, or a full-on dinner. And as her granddaughter, I was always around and was passing the peanuts. Or, you know, I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, she actually let me start pouring the wine. So when I look back on that, I realized that it probably shaped me more than I knew at the time. But really, you know, in terms of how the whole path started, I would say it was quite organically. You know, I was a journalism major at in college and I moved to DC after my sophomore year to intern at the United States Information Agency. And I lived with a distant cousin for free rent, but she asked me to cook for her family. And I did not grow up cooking. Neither my mother nor my stepmother enjoyed it or did it. 
so it was my first time doing this and, and I really loved it. And I came home after that summer and said to my dad, I um, don't want to go back to school. I, I want to go to culinary school. And until that summer, I'd never heard of culinary school. I, I actually hadn't heard the word culinary. And my dad said, you most certainly are going back to college. <laughs> and next summer, you'll get a job in a professional kitchen, which is much different than you know, working in a home kitchen and then, and then we'll see. And so that's what I did the, the next summer. I got a job in a restaurant kitchen and still loved it. And I floated between back and front of the house, you know, normally the, the back of the house, I was doing prep work in the morning and then I didn't want to leave. And so he let me serve during the evenings. And so, you know, it convinced my dad that I was serious and so right after graduating in you know May of 98, I moved to New York to, to attend the Institute of Culinary Education is, is what it's called now, but it used to be Peter Comp's New York Cooking School. And it was a, a six-month program, uh, which suited me fine because I'd been in school for four years and I didn't want to, you know, dedicate the time or the money to the Culinary Institute of America, which is a two-year program. And yeah, so so moved up to New York, started going to culinary school and uh, got a job part time at a wine store after school, which also happened very organically. And then just realized that I like to drink more than I like to cook. And no one again, I'd never heard of anyone pursuing a career in wine or, or any beverage for that matter. And so, you know, that was that's kind of like the, the beginning well, funny, I actually, my, one of my first boyfriends went to the Culinary Institute of America. So amazing! School. I am familiar with the CIA <laughs> and Johnson and Wales. And I actually, my first job was uh, in a restaurant right around the corner from my house. And it was basically me and the cook. And he liked drink more than he liked to cook. <laughs> and often I would find myself all by myself in the restaurant because he was passed out up oh. at the house. That was a, you know, another story for another day. In any case, um, what I'd love to talk to you about now, Inez, is, you know, there's a difference between being in food service and becoming, you know, a business owner. There really is a, bi a big difference there. So it sounds to me like you, you kind of got your legs under you by taking and getting some education and some experience and both the, the wine business, you know, the beverage business, as well as the restaurant business. But what was it that really inspired you to begin your own business and take that leap? Yeah. So, well, moving home to Tarboro um, and with my, at the time, fiance, who was from New York and being in this, you know, 10,000 person town in a very rural area where the nicest restaurant at the time was Golden Corral, multiple fast food outlets, but really nothing where I would get excited about eating or drinking. And so my father, who is Tarboro's biggest cheerleader, said, I really think you can do something special by creating a restaurant. I mean, he was the push on that. And, um, you know, my husband was like, uh, this is a culinary wasteland. Uh, 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 a fine dining restaurant is not going to work. And and then mine was, we've never done anything like this. I mean, we've worked at restaurants. We've worked at very large scale, high-end restaurants, but we've never done it ourselves. 
And so Stephen gave my dad an 18 month commitment. And, you know, here we are 19 years later. But I think I once heard somebody say, if people can see how good you are at something that you're not passionate about, how amazed they will be, you know, when you are in something, doing something you love. And I didn't have the dream of being a business owner, but I, you know, did love great service. And, and I, I, to this day, I feel like a restaurant cannot be successful on the cooking alone. If you don't have the people there who are passionate about serving it and talking about it and making the guests feel important, then you're just not going to ever be outstanding. And so while everything was a learning process, you know, I never did payroll. (laughs) I had never reconciled months, uh, you know, end of month, end of year. I'd never done, you know, sales tax. But ironically, it's what I find even more satisfying now, you know, like (laughs) as a business owner, I'm so much more intrigued by the the other stuff, like the nuts and bolts, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be out on the floor again. I just, I, 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 I had major burnout on that and it really triggered why, why we opened the brewery, but yeah, you know, I do think like, I'm not here to do anything in mediocrity. I'm just, I don't believe in it. <laughs> and so you can't go into a restaurant and say, I'm going to own this, but I'm only going to serve wine. And I'm only going to work at night, right? You know, you have your goals of what you want to do, and then you develop that so that eventually you can have your ideal situation. But uh, I just think it was a combination of just like drive for greatness and, you know, just determination and grit. Yeah. So a few things that I am hearing there that I just want to underscore for my listeners, because I know that there's a lot of women around the world who are our listeners who are either, you know, in a professional situation where they're considering stepping into entrepreneurship, either as a side thing or as a full-time thing, or a lot of our listeners are probably already on the entrepreneurial path. And One of the things you said, it was kind of subtle, but I heard it because it's something that I help people with is you really, you know, are instilling, it sounds like in your business from the top down, this essence of of selling what it is that you have to offer and of being in a state of such confidence and commitment to excellence that it's actually easy for you to sell what it is that you have to offer. So I find for many of my clients and and for many people who are in the entrepreneurial space, sometimes this is the place where they get really hung up is they don't want to be salesy. They don't want to be, you know, kind of pushy. They don't want to, they don't actually want to talk about their business and they don't, feel at some level like it's either good enough or something. I don't know what it is that's within them that causes them to to do that. So I just really want to underscore that for the listeners that if you're not selling, you can't be serving, right? You cannot serve 
if you're not willing to make the offer, whether it's a glass of wine or whether it's a coaching program or whether it's a book or whatever it is, if you're not selling, you're not serving. And if you have a service-based core to you, the highest level of service you can offer is to make people an offer. So we are at the break right now, Inez, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about your book and about all the other things that you have going on because you have three businesses. So, uh, but right now we are going to take a short break. Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I do want to say a big thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We've got multiple, multiple five-star reviews now. We're over 100 five-star reviews in the last two years, which is awesome. Uh, we now have won four awards for the show, and we are downloading in 94 countries. So let's shout out today. A shout out to our listeners in North Carolina. Why not, right? And also to our listeners in Slovakia and our listeners in, um, let's do Italy because I know they have good wine in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and they also have good wine in France. And we will be right back with Inez Rivestello. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Inez Ribostello. She is the author of the new book, her first memoir, Life After Windows, where she does give her backstory about going back to her hometown to open up a restaurant and eventually a brewery while also raising a family. You can actually find out more about Inez and all of her uh, wonderful things that she has going on by going to her Instagram. We will have that for you in the show notes, but it's pretty simple. It's Inez Ribostello on Instagram. So uh, we will have that link for for you in the show notes. So before we went to the break, Inez, we were talking about, you know, how you have now kind of come to a place where the business part is more exciting to you than the front of the house, back of the house stuff that was what really got you started on your journey. So can you talk a little bit about when you knew you were burnt out and it sounds like when you got burnt out, then you started the brewery. So can we talk about that little, like, like how do you be burnt out and start something new? Because it, it does require 
power and energy and enthusiasm to start something new. So did you have a low period where you just let yourself lie fallow for a little bit? Or did you just say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to do something else. No, I, I made it so much more complicated, Angel. <laughs> we purchased a 10,000 square foot building in 2008, which was the, the idea was to move the restaurant that had outgrown the space into this building. And of course, a lot of people remember what happened in 2008 when the economy tanked and no one wanted to invest in a restaurant period, much less one in Eastern North Carolina. And so we're sitting on this really amazing, charming, albeit dilapidated space. And we're watching in North Carolina, the brewery, the craft brewery scene really start like sprouting and seeing what a big benefit a brewery was to a small town. You know, while our restaurant is not expensive compared to Chicago or San Francisco or New York, there are a lot of people in our community who cannot afford to eat dinner there. And so as I was taking my children to school, I was noticing that, you know, those families I didn't see in our restaurant space. And I was thinking, how cool would it be to have the space where we have really great craft beer? And if you want to bring in your chicken biscuit from Bojangles or your Taco Bell, you, you know, you can do that and come and drink a pint of beer and it would just be a different, a different attraction for Tarboro. And so we went to the drawing board, firstly, reached out to a friend who is a brewer in Philadelphia and said, you know, what do you think? We can't do it without you. We know how to drink beer, but we don't know how to make beer. And he said, yeah, you know, you raise the money. Well, I'll come. And so um, this was all while working in the restaurant five days, three nights a week and two young kids. And, you know, raising, firstly, we did an Indiegogo campaign and then we sought out investors, which took a very long time. And I would say that coincided with the burnout. You know, it was not taking a step back and saying, hey, I'm just going to work on this brewery and then you know, Stephen, you do the restaurant. And and honestly, I didn't have that luxury. Mm. You know, we couldn't, our family couldn't afford it. And so by the time we got the doors open in 2016, the craft brewery scene had tripled mm. <laughs> in North Carolina. So I think like in, in 2012, when I wrote the business plan, there were 73. And now here we were at like over 270. And I knew that I was going to have to go run the brewery, not have to, I wanted to, mm -hmm. I didn't anticipate how the restaurant would suffer without me there. Mm. And yet how our family was able to really heal by me not being there. So Ooh, yeah, it was let's just, dive into that. Inez. Tell me more. Well, you know, I think, I think burnout is real in many professions, totally educators, mm -hmm. you know, restaurateurs, but when you work with your significant other and it's, it's very hard to have like a, a line where you get home and you don't talk about the restaurant mm -hmm. or you get to work and you don't talk about the fight you had this that morning, you know, 
over something non-restaurant related, you know, and it's a lot of, um, I mean, Stephen and I did intense therapy around this, but it's a lot of um, drawing boundaries that we didn't have with customers. And, and, and I don't think many people understand like having a restaurant in a town of less than 11,000, I could be in the grocery store with my children and somebody would feel very free to say, I didn't like that. I didn't get a booth last night when you sat me. Yeah. And that doesn't happen in a lot of big cities because you, you're not intimate with your customers in this way, but right. um, it was um, emotionally taxing in particular on me. I think, you know, my, my husband was a little more immune to it, but it was kind of, um, it was actually the year I turned 40 that I feel like I, um, I became very broken. And yet I now know that that all served a much greater purpose mm-hmm. because I am a very different, much stronger person um, than I was because of breaking and rebuilding. Beautiful. I love that. So I want everyone to just sit with that for a moment, especially if you're in a moment right now where you feel like things are breaking down. And, you know, I think that's happening on a global level for everyone right now. Yeah. Just hear that this too shall pass. And on the other side, you will be honed, right? Your spirit will be honed your no muscle will be honed, (laughs) your capacity to set clear boundaries will be honed, all of those wonderful things that actually allows you to become even more influential and more of a leader. So Inez, we only have a few minutes left, so I definitely want to make sure that we uh, squeeze in a couple of things. First of all, I want to talk about the work that you do to pursue educational equity and social justice in your hometown, because obviously you are in a very small place and people know you. And so you could be just being the restaurateur and the brewer in town, but it sounds like you have extended yourself even further into the fabric of your community. So would you talk a little bit about that work that you do as well? I am a huge public school advocate. um, And you cannot be a part of any solution to an issue that you're not in proximity with. And so you can't say we need to make sure our teachers are paid more, that our kids have better resources, that the schools are, you know, heated and cooled properly if your kids aren't in it with you. You know, I mean, and unfortunately, a lot of people who look like me in this area choose to send their children to private school. And I don't think that they have the relationships with uh, people in our community where they are sitting at tables where they might not hear things that are at their dining room tables. And I also don't believe that you can care about the whole community if if you think the system isn't good enough for your Right. And Mm -hmm. so just realizing that, um, you know, again, didn't come back to the town where I was raised to be a mediocre part of it. I want our schools to compete with all the schools around the country that are the highest performing with the best resources, with the best, most passionate, innovative educators. And so to be a part of that work and 
I do think as a business owner in your community, you have to be as active in the schools and your, you know, other volunteer programs or else you're not really serving your community and Mm -hmm. your community is not seeing what your business brings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I just recently after eight years stepped off of Teach for America, Eastern North Carolina board, I chaired it for the past three years. Um, That was one of my just, I, you know, one of the greatest gifts was to be a part of that community. I'm very proud that Edgecombe County has more um, Teach for America alumni than any rural county in the country. Oh, um, well, congratulations on that. We literally have two minutes left oh gosh. on this, and I want to make sure that we talk about your book. So okay. can we have a quick like minute of what inspired you with all this other stuff that you have going on to write this book, Life After Windows? You know, Angel, I, it has been something that I've wanted to do forever and I've been writing it forever and just meeting a woman actually at a leadership conference out in California in 2019. And I said, you know, I've got it. I'm just scared to put it out there. And she said, I think you need to do it and you need to do it for the 20th anniversary. And she, you know, I'd met her one time. She started texting me, pushing me. And, you know, I just said, it's not going to write itself. It's not going to publish itself. And so it's been amazing having it out in the world and just hearing how people have reacted to it. Really, I feel like very honored to have been able to share it. And I feel even more honored about what it's made uh, Reddit share with me. Oh. Beautiful. Well, we are going to encourage our listeners to get access to that book. Definitely make sure that you check Inez out on Instagram. And if you're in Tarboro, stop in for a beer (laughs) or (laughs) a glass of wine or a a fine dining experience in uh, her restaurant. And we are going to have to end, but we do appreciate you showing up today and shining, Inez. Thank you so much for being here. Listeners, we love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We'll have that for you in the show notes. Or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.